Welcome to another Founder to Founder interview from Gun.io, your source for hiring world-class tech talent. Today, Gun.io's CEO and co-founder, Teja Yanamandra, sits down with David Korshit of Stately AI, the company behind XState, a best-in-class open-source library for handling complexity at scale. Okay, here's Teja. Okay, so I see you have a piano in the background, uh, and, then, and then I also see other things, but the piano stands out the most. Maybe like a, a cool spot to start is like, you know, do you, do you like playing music and probably like playing piano, I assume. Yeah, so I actually, um, I, I've been studying piano for a while. I went to college for piano at the no University shit. of Central Florida. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I, I guess that was my original career trajectory trajectory but of course people never fully know what they want to do in college so i was doing piano i was doing a little bit of wordpress and got into that and then i realized okay i could actually make a lot more money doing this than being a piano teacher all my life so were your parents musicians or do you just like playing music or like how did you decide to study that in college no no my, my parents weren't musicians at all it's just something that um you know they made me do as a kid and so i ended up really really enjoying it so yes that's cool um and so born and raised in florida or from elsewhere? uh so i i was born in chicago moved to florida and then stayed here pretty much because the cost of living is lower than you know your california's new york's all of the other tech hubs no it's it sounds similar so like my so my parents immigrated from india to new york city and then they moved down to Nashville. And so it's like where I finished high school. Uh, and there's not very many Indians like in Nashville, you know, uh, but I went to college elsewhere. And then when we started the company, I started it here in Nashville, basically out of like my mom's house because it was cheap. <laughs> is that like similar to your kind of story or is that like different? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I have worked remote for a while, most recently at Microsoft. And then when I decided to start my company, it's, yeah, we don't have an office or anything. All of us are remote, distributed. Half of us are in the United States. The other half are in Europe. So no reason to get an office. Just, you know, do it here in my home. Yeah. So, okay. I think maybe we can even back up and be like, um, like, what's your company? You know, when did you start it? Um, you know, what kind of got you into the idea of entrepreneurship? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I've been a developer for, uh, I want to say around 15 years. I lose track. Uh, uh, mostly focused on web technologies. Cool. And um, when I started my first, what I call my first big boy job as a junior developer, we were working on this just nasty jQuery PHP project. We weren't really allowed to use any frameworks, nor were there any really good options at the time. I, I There was Backbone and things like that. And of course, Angular 1.x, which we eventually moved to. Yeah. But the biggest thing I struggled with was just really complex application logic. And so you have me, who's a junior developer, fresh out of just making WordPress templates for people for like $100, which at the time I thought was big money. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, and also me being a musician and still being super focused on music, my mind is very visual. So I, I love seeing things just like a musician would read sheet music and sort of understand the music 
uh, in that declarative fashion, um, me looking at a bunch of if statements, just it didn't really click well. And there was a lot of multi-step forms and complex application logic and workflows too. So uh, I, I desperately just wanted to see, is there a better way of representing this in a way that I could understand and others could understand? And so I just went in this deep rabbit hole of learning about, um, you know, flow diagrams, which led to state diagrams, which led to state machines, which also led to state charts. And I'm like, this is really cool. I could actually understand this. This is just boxes and arrows. To understand the flow of something, you just follow the arrows. It's, you know, as as simple as that. And I, I thought, like, why aren't web developers really doing this mainstream? And I mean, half the reason is just they don't know about it. The other half is a lot of them have been burned by UML, which tried to just super formalize that and just make it really difficult to work with. So I created my um, own library called XStates to just really scratch this itch of can developers program logic in a way where number one, it works. Like, right. you know, you have your states and transitions and everything. And number two, you could take that copy paste it somewhere and visualize it. And so it was just an experiment. I talked about it at a couple of conferences, but it seemed to really catch on uh, to the point where there is like a ton of big and small companies using XState and even more developers who just, whether they're using XState or not, they know about state machines. They're like, wow, this is a such an important computer science concept that I didn't know previously, but now I could see it doesn't have just, um, you know, just uh, mathematical or theoretical applications, but it actually has real practical application in my day-to-day -day work. So um, yeah, fast forward, I was working at Microsoft for about five years. And then at the height of the pandemic, I decided like this project is too important for me to just have it as a side project, working on it mornings before my coworkers worked up, nights, weekends. I mean, it was very stressful and there were there was more and more people depending on it. So I decided to go the VC route, um, get a little bit of seed funding, assemble a team, and actually make this reality of um, uh, being able to actually physically design your application logic in a visual way, and in a way where you could edit the code, which updates the diagram, or edit the diagram, which updates the code. So just that bi-directional nature, uh, which is a very tough problem to solve, but you know, I, I think we've we've got it pretty good. So. Um, yeah, that, that's what made stately.ai come to life. And we've been around for two and a half years now. That's awesome. I have I have a lot of questions about how, how the application like itself works. And we, we can get into that. I'm curious of, okay, so you ran the company sort of bootstrap, maybe even like solopreneur, maybe you had some people helping you. How has the transition been from like bootstrapping it as maybe like an idea concept early stage business to now having like VC backing. Like what's that been like for you? So by bootstrapping, it, it wasn't like I was selling anything before. I mean, the, the most I was doing was maybe teaching a couple workshops here and there, but you know, that's, that's not too much money. Um, and also all of the, like the precursors to the stately studio that we call it mm. have been just me working on weekends and just trying to do something to, to make application logic visual. But yeah, it, it has been a pretty big change from when we got, you know, a little bit of VC funding to to building a team and really seeing this accelerate and take off. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did it. How, how are you spending your time these days now? Where were the, with where the company's <laughs> at? 
Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the the two most important things which I try to focus on are uh, number one, talking to users, and number two, building the product. And it, it really has to be in that order. Um, you know, you can't build something and just expect users to come. So that's why we we have a pretty large community of people who use our uh, either the product or X dates or all of the above. And we talk to them a lot. And um, I'm also involved with uh, both building the product, coordinating that, and um, of course, you know, having to talk to investors and all of that too, and just do all of the business planning stuff that uh, that developers really aren't accustomed to. Like I sort of fell into this business role. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's like you want to build a cool product and like part of having to do that is you have to scale the capability of building it which involves like a lot of work streams that are not super um, intuitive or in sometimes right. like engaging even in my case exactly. i would say um <laughs> how have you kind so like you've been a developer for like over a decade you probably like actually writing code and you like probably having four or five hours of uninterrupted time to think through a problem. Um, now I imagine your work life is like sliced an hour or 30 minute increments, right? Um, what are some of like your personal, like, I don't know, like heuristics to, to ensure that you're maintaining like good output every week and like you're, you know, leveraging your highest and best, um, potential. Well, I, I always have this idea, like, first of all, it's just realizing what are the northern stars yeah. of our products? Like, where do we want to take this? And of course, we want this to be a a tool in every company's tool set where it's like, okay, we need to organize our app logic in a visual formal way somewhere. So this is a great way to do it. And so that's why I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what are the most impactful things that we as a team could do every single week? Um, to just go towards that goal. And so that means just trying to delegate as much as I can, um, saying no where I can. Uh, for example, that's hard. It, it is really hard, but like now I, I've just gotten into the habit of like, if we're super hardcore focusing on one problem and I zoom out and I see that problem is not really going to move the needle for us, even if it gets solved, then I'm yeah. just like, hey, either just pick A or pick B, flip a coin, and just move on, we could talk about it later. And yeah. actually, that's really powerful. The whole, we'll get back to it later, because yeah. the fear is always, you might not get back to it later, but that's actually a good thing, because yeah. if you don't get back to it later, it's like, well, was it really that important? Yeah. So um, other than that, my heuristics are just, uh, yeah, making sure that we're accomplishing these, you know, Northern Star goals, and also just talking to our users and seeing that, like, we we focus a lot on metrics, but not too much, like not to an obsessive level, just because um, it's one of those like if like if you have product market fit, which even at this point, we don't know if we have it yet. Like it's one of those you either know it or you don't. It's not like you're going to obsess over a graph and think, oh, we have 15 percent month over month growth or anything like that, because it's like, no, are are lots of people talking about your product and using your product? Yes or no. Like that's. That should be the only thing. So really, my heuristic is just focusing on that and seeing, like, is what we're working on really making a difference? Are people talking about it, using it, and are they benefiting from it? Do you enjoy, like, the 
sort of non-coding work? I know it's like a simplistic question. Like, have <laughs> you have you enjoyed the transition of your day-to-day duties, or are do you look fondly at the times past where you get to stay up all night drinking Diet Coke, doing work? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny. It's not an easy question to answer, but the the best way to answer would be sort of like a state machine. Where it's yeah. like, I really enjoy the coding until I don't. It's like I get frustrated wow. on these micro problems. And then I would rather focus on the business side. And then I would, you know, work on the business side until it just doesn't get interesting anymore. And then coding looks more fun. So it's like these two states going back and forth yes. uh, between each other. Um, I I do really enjoy focusing on just the, like, zooming out the bigger picture, which is very much the business side. Um, I don't like focusing on uh you know things that are just huge distractions like or not not even distractions but just the the i don't know uh the the unappealing stuff of uh metrics and things like that i'll I'll be completely honest i mean i i know it's important and everything but my number one goal is i want to solve people's problems so you know so okay having an anti-metrics view I'm, I'm going to characterize your viewpoint like that. I'm sure it's actually more nuanced than that. It's like, it's yeah. probably, if you were to frame it, it's like appropriate level of focus on the metrics. But I but I, I think even that is like a fairly controversial view to have these days. Um, and especially I think because like the value of your company is often looked through like a spreadsheet, right? And so like, especially in the venture ecosystem, and so like there's an incentive to actually like overweight perhaps like the importance of metrics. Like how do you make decisions if maybe metrics are not the most important thing? Like how do you actually distill down the feedback from users, make directional calls and where the product needs to go? Like what's your process for determining like, okay, like this is actually the most important feature we need to ship for this quarter. Like let's go. Well, that, that's the thing. So metrics are definitely important. I'm just saying they're not fun. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, yeah, sometimes I think, I don't know. I think like metrics, over-optimizing metrics can be a distraction because for them to be like actually accurate, um, they have to be so narrow and they and like right and that often doesn't tell the full picture of whether a customer likes your stuff or not Um, right exactly and i i think one of the biggest problems i have i don't know if this is controversial but like the the problem with hyper focusing on metrics is that you learn to sort of game the system and so what i mean by that is not not as in tweak the metrics and lie about it but for example if one of your metrics is uh, just revenue let's say Yep. Then instead of saying like, okay, let's talk to our users, see what they want, see if we're solving their problems and um, just get more users on board and, you know, make the product more valuable to our users, uh, business people are going to think, hey, let's actually play with the pricing a bit and turn some of those knobs to see if we can make that number go up and make users upset in the process. Because yes, you are going to get more revenue, but users are, you know, going to be unhappy as a result. Yeah. No, totally. that, yeah. Depending on your time horizon, it can lead to some short-sighted business decisions. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's totally true. What's okay. What's been the most impactful hire that you've made in the course of building your company? 
<laughs> um, the most impactful hire. I mean, our our entire team is great, and I would say that all of them are impactful. I don't really want to <laughs> single okay. out anyone. That's fair. So. Yeah. As I asked that question, I was like, yeah, maybe that puts them in a tricky position. <laughs> let me let me say, what's a hire that's like maybe improved your quality of life the most? If you have one, I have one that I can that I can share with you as an example. If you want me to start. Hey, I, yeah, please start. <laughs> um, I think our like head of operations has been a really impactful hire, like for my personal quality of life, because it helps me not deal with some of the business stuff that I don't want to deal with. And that gives me leverage to like do the fun stuff, like talk to folks in the space and talk to users more. I'm like, not worry so much about things like, you know, like where exactly are we in this given day against the annual plan? Cause that okay. stuff is like, I have a human interface to, to think about that stuff. Um, yeah. anything like that jump out to you? I mean, actually, I, I would say that my answer is the same. Um, okay. maybe, maybe not exactly that role, but in that same sort of area. So to give you an idea, when I first started the company, um, I thought like, okay, cool. We're going to assemble at the time. It was only like three to five people. Uh, we were, you know, small, I mean, we're, we're nine people right now, which is still pretty small. Yep. Um, but back then, even three to five people. And I was like, cool, we are going to get heads down working on this, just building and talking to users and doing all this fun stuff. And very quickly, my day turned to 90% administrative, dealing with taxes, dealing with lawyers, like dealing with all of this really not fun stuff. Yeah. And so hiring that person for, you know, dealing with all of that just to take off my plate, it's been really, really amazing. What's what's some of your advice? Um, so we have like forty thousand devs in the network, and you know mostly like independent professionals, freelancers, some interested in full time jobs, and mostly like independent folks, probably working. And, and I would bet that a large portion of them are working on side projects that they hope to scale into businesses. Um, so what would be your advice to like somebody who's like a digital nomad, maybe has a contracting thing going on, but it's you know they're in the time for money exchange, what would be your advice to them to maybe build a product and scale a company if you had it? Um, so are, are you talking about like just getting them out of doing it as a side project and doing it as a full yeah. business? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? If you asked me a year ago, I would have a completely different answer. So, um, I, I was going to say, you know, a year ago optimize for, um, you know, just making it something where you could actually form a solid business plan and see if you could get venture capital funding and everything for that so that you could assemble a team and um, really make it take off. Because honestly, that was like one of the best decisions I did because this is honestly my passion project. It's something that I love doing. And um, regardless of what happens like in the coming years, it's something that I'm just going to continue working on. That's how, you know, how devoted I am to it. However, nowadays, I would say like all of that, basically all of the knowledge from maybe a year ago back, like just, I don't want to say fully disregarded, but really take it with a grain of salt because right now you could do a lot more with just one person. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. I, I, I know this is going to sound like very hyped and everything, but, you know, just talking to chat GPT for even things like business advice, coding, et cetera. You could do a lot more with one person. You could do a lot more with a few people. You don't necessarily need to go the venture capital route um, or seek funding as is the traditional way of doing things. 
I really think right now that what you could do with a team of 20, you could easily do with a team of three mm. right now. Mm. So, that. and that includes like outsourcing, um, you know, and also just uh, hiring people or having your friends work on things where they're using, you know, chat GPT or whatever else to just augment their daily work. That's cool. That's powerful. I totally agree. Um, yeah, small, small and mighty. Uh, yeah, is the way to go. That's cool. Um, what do you wish that I had asked you more about? Do you want to get into your product a little bit? Uh, sure. We could we could get into that. But okay. Talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I'm curious. Like, do you guys have an organizational focus, or like, do you sort of feel like your product can solve problems like agnostic the company stage? Like, is there an ideal kind of like engineering? team side like how do you guys think about like the the problem maybe um in a, in, a, in a commercial context yeah i mean so the number one thing we're trying to solve is just this whole communication problem with teams and we're not just talking about like uh how do you share documents and just share things together do things collaboratively like notion solves or you know things like that uh we're talking at the actual application logic level because the truth of the matter is that you have people who are, you know, closer to the stakeholder decision maker level, like project managers, BAs, etc. Okay. And these people are typically the ones, ideally the ones who are not directly involved with the actual code. And the code is how the product works. And the, so, you, so you have the decisions, so the requirements, the specifications, all of that. And you have the people who actually take those, distill it, and put it into code and make sure it actually works. And how do you make sure that those two personas are speaking the same language? It's yes. it's actually pretty difficult. And yeah. it's really not been a solved problem. And that's basically the huge problem we're trying to solve is that, sure, you could create diagrams and you could create documentation and all of that. But those are things that, number one, it takes time and efforts to do all that. And number two, it's very easy for them to go out of date. And so that's why yes. what we're doing is not new at all. It's very old. It's this idea of what we'd like to call executable diagrams, where basically these diagrams are generated from the code that you're already creating. And even if they're not, there's something that could be converted to code and even converted to documentation tests, diagrams, of course, et cetera. And we really wanted to build that tool so that... Um, technical people could communicate with non-technical people on the actual app logic in their app, regardless of how complex it is. So that's, that's the number one thing we're trying to solve. And it is very much at a, you know, entire team level and essentially an entire organization level, because this basically becomes living documentation with, with diagrams that are actually useful. I have a use case that uh, may be adjacent to the one that you're solving for that I'll ask you, and maybe we can be a customer of yours. Um, so like we have a sales process that involves both our application as well as actions that like, um, the customer has to take that live outside of the application. Right. Uh, and as you mentioned, like right now, I think we chart using like lucid charts or something like this but like in the span of a week or like you know and maybe in a two-week test period 
like the results of the test will then again change what the diagram actually should be if it needs to be accurate. So like our charts about what the actual sales process is, how it touches the application and different things that we, you know, Calendly, all this stuff is different. And it's a big pain, right? Like, cause when you onboard a new AE, they're like, okay, like what does the customer like actually experience? And you're like this, but then also this is not fully accurate. There's these other changes. Like can Staley address that problem? Um, or is that maybe out of scope right now? Just kind of curious. No, it, it absolutely can. Um, the idea is that where you would use something like Lucidchart or Miro or Draw.io or any of these other diagramming tools to draw these boxes and arrows. So basically your flowchart of like, hey, right. here's how this this uh, you know user process is supposed to you know go. You would basically be doing the same thing in Stately, like drawing diagrams pretty close to the same way. Um, we, I mean, we don't have all the bells and whistles of you could draw whatever shapes and colors you want. That, that may be coming soon though, but like for cool. now it's like just more constrained than that. Yeah. You're still dropping the same boxes and arrows and it takes you maybe a fraction of the time to just create a flow chart and, you know, make it work. And you could also generate one with AI just for fun if you want to. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that when you create that diagram, that doesn't just become a, a, like a, what we call a speculative artifact, like just a static diagram. It becomes something that you could take and do whatever you want with it. So you could convert that to code. Um, you could add descriptions into it. You could just create prototypes with it. Um, you could, in, in the near future, this is sort of a hidden alpha feature, but you could actually deploy it as a workflow and then use a JavaScript SDK to actually attach it to your actual application. And in the future, we could also receive events from people who are going through those steps and um, and actually collect those metrics so that you could see like, okay, how are users actually traversing this flow? Um, how many of them are getting to this step? Uh, are there any bottlenecks or anything? And even things like if we decide to change the process, change the logic, how does that change user behavior? Like are more users going to this step, et cetera? And the main difference between something like this and something like your Zapiers of the world or whatever is because it's just a diagram, you don't have to think about what are all of the integrations and connections and services and whatever I need to connect to. You just, it's it's really up to you to connect that yourself and, or even just have it live as an abstract, you know, flow. That's so, cool. Yeah. And, and, and so if the app, if the product actually changes like the order of events, let's say, or the order of actions taken by the customer, this, like the chart presumably would be automatically updated to reflect the new product workflow. Um, yeah, if you're if you're using XState, then yeah, it's um, we have this thing called GitHub Sync where it automatically just synchronizes with. I change the logic in the code. Okay, so this diagram is going to change. Um, in the future, we do want it to be so that it it sort of derives that graph for you, and you don't have to necessarily use XState, even though it's a fine library to use, but it's JavaScript only for now. Right. Um, that's yeah. sick. That's <laughs> sick. That's really cool. Okay, well, I will tell our head of revenue to take a look at this because he's always on my ass. Like, do I really yeah. have to keep these assets updated? I'm like, yes, I think that's So cool, man. That's awesome. Um, where can people find you and your company on the interwebs? So our company is stately.ai. And if you want to just jump in, like the quickest way to get started is states.new. State.new. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. 
Well, thanks so much for your time, David. This was really fun. And I think uh, the devs in the network will learn a lot. And certainly we're going to uh, follow up with you guys to explore using your product, I think, on the road. So, so. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. You're listening to the Founder to Founder podcast powered by Gun.io's Frontier Network. We release a new episode every Thursday morning, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you stream your music. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. You can follow us online at The Frontier Pod or drop us a line at team at gun.io to get in touch about hiring world-class tech talent. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.